sound amazing this morning. Go ahead and be seated. Um, so usually I'm up here and you like hear me and I'm hilarious and I'm very charming. But today, Kristen was like, you have like 27 announcements, so I'm just gonna read them really fast. So if you could just pay attention, write some stuff down, we want you at all this stuff. And you don't get charming Jesse, you get business Jesse this morning. Yeah, yeah, it's not fun. My kids hate it too. Um, so the first point of business is we have connection cards. If you walked in today, you probably got a connection card. We would love for you to fill those out, whether you're a first-time guest or a million-time guest. Uh, because we love you, we want to hear about you and hear from you. Uh, we don't spam you with connection cards, but what we do do is it's a great way for us to connect with you, to understand where you're at. There's a great spot for prayer requests. We love to pray for you. So please complete a, a connection card. And this is the part where I get into a million things. What's funny, side note, I'm just gonna say this real fast. This is not business, Jesse. This is personal, Jesse. At the beginning of summer, Pastor John was like, you know what, summertime, we're really gonna try to slow down. You know, we're gonna try to do a lot less this summer. And here we are in August in a series called Burnout. We're doing a lot. Um, I love you. So here we go. Uh, so what's happening today? We have a baptism Q&A, because next week we have baptisms. If you've never been baptized, or would, yes, or would like to figure out what baptism means, why we do it, why it's important, we would love to see you in room 228 following the service, where we will tell you everything about baptism you've ever wanted to know. Uh, your little pamphlet thing might say room 229. That is lying to you. It's room 228. Uh, second thing today is we have a prayer walk today at Mary Lyon Elementary. Give it up. I like praying, don't love walking, but we're doing both today. Uh, prayer walk is fantastic. We are actually having our sports and arts camp this week at Mary Lyon Elementary. And so in preparation of that, we believe that prayer works and prayer is powerful. And I don't know about you, but I want to be praying for our kids. I want to be praying for our community. But I also want to be praying for all the leaders that are going to be there because many of these leaders have full-time jobs. They're going to work a full eight-hour day and then go serve our kids, right, and then go back to work the next day and then come and go. It's a whole thing. So we need to be praying for them. It's going to be a great time. Prayer walk. This week, Sports and Arts Camp, we have a volunteer rally on Monday evening. Uh, and then camp is Thursday through Friday, 6 to 8. And a, what is it? Tuesday. I don't know. Guys, this is business, Jesse. You can't even slow me down. Stop. Let's go. Tuesday through Friday. Uh, family night on Friday and food and a carnival. Next Sunday is Disco Fest. Yes. Here's the beautiful thing about Disco Fest is usually once a year, if you don't know, we go out and we do church outside in a different spot. Sometimes we find a park. Well, we've always found a park as far as I know. This year, we're not even leaving Lincoln. We're going to be right here, right? So you don't have to change your travel plans. You don't have to do it. We're just going to be out on the lawn over here off South G. It's a great time. Bring a, a chair. Bring maybe like an umbrella because it's really hot right now. So if you're of my complexion, Bring an umbrella. Uh, I think I have like one more thing. Oh yeah, service overview. In just a few minutes, we're gonna sing some songs. Pastor John's gonna come up here and give us a rousing sermon. Yeah, week three of our burnout series is gonna be great. Um, and then we're gonna sing another song. We're gonna do some tithes and offerings. We're gonna pray. And then at the very end of the service, you get to see me again. Yeah, and there's no time limit on that one. So you may get happy, Jesse. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for everybody here. I thank you that we get to come to church. We get to have fun. Uh, we get to do things together. 
uh, we joke about being busy and burnt out, but at the end of the day, I would rather uh, come to a community that loves me and sees me, and uh, we get to partner in transforming kids' lives and the world. And I just thank you for the opportunity to be a part of a community like that. I pray for our service today. I pray that we would have open hearts and open minds to learn and to grow, and that we would have a great day today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song, cause you are
we're just gonna go ahead and continue on in worship. And the song's really, really simple. That when we are going through difficult seasons, difficult times, we can come to the Father. And the lyrics are, no place I would rather be than here in your love. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would just allow God to, to wrap us in his arms and just, and just be with him. I want more of you, God. 
encourage you to maintain that moment of worship but be seated and I'm going to invite you just to take a minute to pray and you know we guide a lot of the moments from the stage and the and the platform but these next few minutes are going to be led completely by God and and his work in you right now so I want to encourage you we're going to take a moment of prayer keyboard is going to keep playing and as you walked in this morning there are some things that are stirring inside and I'm going to invite you just for the next couple of minutes for you to have some honest conversation with God maybe it's been some conversations that have been a long time coming but I'm going to encourage you just to be honest now some you walked in this morning and you walked in um, be honest maybe you've given very little thought to God and what he's doing in your life right now and maybe during in this very quiet moment you might maybe for the first time just consider that God is working and he's not done with you and you might just ask God in in your own words your own language to soften a hard place or to wake up a numb and quiet place I'm gonna leave that up to you this is your moment we're just gonna have a few moments in prayer Father, it says of, of your word that it is living and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. I ask that this morning that would be exactly true. Some of us are very, very tender uh, this morning. It's, we feel raw and on the edge. Some of us were quite content, maybe even indifferent 
to your work in our life. I'm asking in Jesus' name that your word would be like a sharp scalpel in a master surgeon's hand and that you would reach into the depth of every one of our souls and speak. Speak. I, I, I'm praying as we walk out, every man, woman, child who walks out says, whoa, I didn't know God was looking in my bedroom this week. And I, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name that it would be that real and relevant. In your name we pray. Welcome to Discovery. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, worship team. We give them thank you. So some of you, uh, you've been coming to Discovery for a long time. Some of you, this is your very first time. Thank you for, for being here, taking a risk to be with us this morning. I do believe very much that um, it's like God knows everything. Jesus says that he knows the numbers of hair on your head. Um, he knows everything about your life, where you've been this week, what's been going on. And we also believe, we have this conviction that when we open up his word, he speaks. He speaks to us. And um, I'm going to be the first to tell you that I am not that charismatic. I think Jesse's a rousing message. I don't know that it'll be that rousing. But I don't, I don't think any of us need that this morning. I think most of us in this room know that we need God to speak. Amen? A few amen. Some of you are not so sure yet. That's okay. So, um, hey, so at Discovery, we, we really believe that Jesus is the answer for everything. And, and second, as a church, we really do believe that God speaks powerfully through his word. And so one of the practices that we have on Sunday morning is we walk through the Bible together. We've been doing that for years and years and years. In fact, the very first week that Discovery started, a little over 20 years ago, um, a little bit longer than that. I keep saying 20, Barb, because it makes me feel not really young, I guess, but anyway... Um, the very first week of Discovery, we opened to the very first book, page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 1, and we began, we began walking through like page after page. It's been our habit to just do this, to walk through Scripture. And so right now, where we are, we're in the Gospel of Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. I want to invite you to open up to the book of Luke, find chapter 9. Um, if you don't have a Bible, use your phone. We also bring Bibles, and we actually want the Bibles to disappear. If you want to take a couple, take a couple. Take all of them. We'd be tickled pink if they were missing today. So um, we'll, we'd love to get more of those. Take, grab a Bible, and you're going to have a ton of scriptures this morning. So not only will we be in Luke 9, but we're going to have a lot of other verses that help us navigate and understand Luke chapter 9. So I see themes, some really strong themes in the Gospel of Luke. And one of the strong themes found in Luke 9 is, um, last week I talked about shrinking capacity. So everybody say shrinking capacity. Shrinking capacity. I see that in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. I see Jesus preparing his disciples for a season ahead where their capacity will be limited or they will be experiencing less margin in their life. Not only is he preparing them for that moment, he's walking through a moment right then when they are feeling it. And I find this, now earlier in my prayer I talked about asking God to make it relevant. I just want to be clear here. My conviction is scripture is always relevant. I think it is, there's nothing more relevant than the Bible. Um, sometimes I have a hard time seeing the relevancy because I'm so wrapped up in my own stuff. Anybody? Only a couple of laymans? Like, yeah, me, I, I'm so wrapped up in my stuff and I want God to behave the way I want God to behave that I sometimes, I'm blind to, to the relevancy. So 
Um, but Luke 9 and this whole thing about shrinking capacity, I see so rich in our culture right now because so many people that I encounter, it seems like our capacity feels really limited. Like we really feel like we're just barely treading water, you know, we're just trying to hold it all together. If one more straw lands on this pile, that is it. It's the one that broke the camel's back. Yeah, so I, I see that everywhere. We just have this sense like we're right here hanging on for dear life. And this is impacting and affecting everything in our life. How we navigate at work, right? How we drive on the interstate, doesn't it? It seems like there's just more and more like road rage. And in my perspective, it has everything to do with capacity issues. The violence that is perpetrated against between friends and family members and neighbors, I think, is a reflection of shrinking capacity. That people are just, they have a short, what do we call it? You got a short fuse. There's just the, I have, sometimes you people say, I have no more patience left, right? I am, last week we used the phrase over and over again. I am done, right? Flip me over, man. I am, I am done. I am spent. And so I see this in our culture, and I think it's so important for us right now because it's not just impacting work and I-5. Our families, our churches, like I think we're struggling, even as Christ followers, to know how to navigate in our neighborhoods right now. Like, do I have space for that? Like when Jesse was talking about things, you know, earlier, he was like, is this another thing? Because all of us are wrestling, like, do I need something more on my plate? So I find this incredibly relevant and rich. So we're talking not just about burnout, how to avoid it, but really how to navigate a season of shrinking capacity. So um, now, I mentioned not only is Jesus preparing, but he's walking through this moment with his disciples. And I'm just going to take us back. I won't preach the earlier two sermons But in the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus gives his disciples some new authority, a new calling, and he asks them to go do something that there's no record of them ever have done before. Um, This is a sign of a new thing. They leave their homes, they go to all these other cities, and they're performing miracles, they're teaching, and it's cool, and it is exhausting. You know, sleeping on a stranger's floor is really fun. Not the mic's like not, yeah. It's not. It's it. It might be kind of fun and exciting for day one, but after a while, you want your own bed. Hanging out with people is so energizing and fun, and new people and questions is so exciting until it's not. (laughs) Until you're done. Until until you're like, I just want some peace and quiet. I want everyone to leave. I want just my TV. And I want the temperature in my house to be the way I want it. I want to have my favorite foods. You guys, you're with me? Like, there's just some times that you're done, right? This is where Jesus' disciples are. They come back from this cool moment, and they're done. Like, they've, they've had it. And as we talked about last week, when they come back and they're done, Jesus isn't done. In fact, there's 5,000 people show up. They're following them around on their way to their retreat. They're on their way to a retreat, friends. They're like, we need some time away, just us and Jesus. How come you people are still here, right? And as I shared last week, they had like a union meeting, okay? They had the 12 disciples got together. They voted, and they're like, somebody's got to talk to Jesus. And they go as a group, and they say, Jesus, we discussed this. 
Send them all away. We are done. And the most shocking thing, I found it, I found it shocking because it doesn't really fit in with my expectation of who Jesus is. Jesus looks at them in the middle of their shrinking capacity, their lack of margin, with nothing left in the tank, and he says, no, you got a lot more in the tank. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And I talked about how that probably wasn't encouraging and, but they walk through the motions. And you guys remember, you guys know the story. There are 5,000 people there. Jesus takes in his hand this little kid's lunch. It's a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And he holds his hands up to heaven. And he says, thank you, God. You're enough, and this is enough. And he brings his hands down, and he hands it to the disciples. He says, pass it out, guys. And they do, and a miracle takes place. And not only do 5,000 people eat, but what happens at the end? You guys remember? Yeah, they go, the 12 guys grab baskets and they start making their way through the crowd and they come back and they have, they're lugging like 12 basketfuls of leftover. Cool. Really, really cool miracle. Now, if you have ever been in a shrinking capacity moment in your life, like, like you're stressed, nothing's going right anywhere, you're frustrated. And the people around you are having a good time. How do you respond to that? Scream? Yeah, it's, it's not very good. Like, like, maybe your kids are like, you've had a really rough day, but your kids are so excited that you came home. Dad, 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 can we play catch? And you're like, oh, okay. And they throw the ball, and it like sails over your head, because you're somewhere else. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or there's laughter at the table, and then your wife says, John, where are you? And like, I'm right here. What's your problem? And you know, you guys ever have that? Okay, a couple of you. Okay, so uh, it is my conviction that after this miracle, and I'm going to try to prove it very quickly, because there was a lot to talk about today, but um, it's my conviction that the disciples are still there. And I'm going to tell you why. Matthew and Mark record the same event. And Matthew and Mark also say that after this miracle, the guys all get in the boat with their baskets. Well, not all the baskets. Some of them forget some of the baskets. And while they're in the boat heading out, they get in this big argument over the baskets and who forgot some of the baskets. And we don't have enough bread now. We're not going to make it. They start bickering with each other because emotionally in their heart, they're still stuck in this limited capacity moment in their life. In fact, they're so stuck that Jesus interrupts and he's sort of like... What's going on? Do you not? And he, go, he recounts two different moments. Do you not remember the 4,000? How much bread did we have left over? And like, oh, yeah, we had some bread left over. And then, like, how about the 5,000? Didn't we have, yeah, we had bread left over? We had bread left over. Like, this is where they are. And not only that, guys, nearly every time in the New Testament when Jesus performs a miracle, the, the reporter of the event, the gospel writer, says something to this effect. After the miracle, the people were blown away. Okay, they don't use blown away, but something very similar to that. They're like, the, the spread, they, they spread the word everywhere about Jesus. Sometimes even the disciples fall down on their face. One time, Peter, after, after catching fish, DJ, you'd love this. You love catching fish. After catching some fish, like they haven't caught fish all night, they catch fish. Peter falls down on his face, and he's like, get away from me. He has this breakthrough moment. In Luke chapter 9, there's none of that. They're still exhausted. They're still done. 
they can't see they can't see the real moment in front of them. They miss it. It's why in Luke uh, chapter nine, there, my notes went away. Just a second. We need notes here, guys. You do not want me without notes. Okay. Okay. Maybe you do, but you won't be having lunch. I guarantee you that. Okay. <laughs> it's why in Luke, uh, Luke records that the very next thing after this miracle, you know, I want us to read it together, okay? uh, starting in um, verse 18, Jesus has this encounter with his disciples. So Luke just goes there. Right after this miracle, he says, well, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them. So this is one of the rare, if not the only time that I can, I've been racking my brain this week. Like, was there any other time? I think this is maybe the only other time that Jesus interrupted his prayer time. Like, he's praying. And he interrupts. He's like, man, I've got to address something with my guys. And so it says Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. And so he asks them, he says, who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist, and some say uh, you're Elijah, and so others that you're one of the prophets of long ago that's come back to life. And then in verse 20, Jesus says this. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. This can seem a little out of place. Um, Tracy and I used to, we have these different little memories from shows and things that we repeat. I don't know if you guys ever do that. You have like a, a show. Now we, we have memes. So you just copy a meme and send it. Back in the day, you just repeat something. It's a weird thing that old people do. We have, there's old show. I'm not sure exactly what the show was. Maybe Everybody Loves Raymond. I can't remember. But there's this moment where the uh, the husband um, has had a sh- capacity shrinking season in his life. He is just spent. He's done. He's frustrated. And he doesn't know what to do. He's just, there's a lot of tension. And then the spouse walks in and uh, puts their hand on his shoulder and just with a lot of care and like, it's going to be okay, turns to the husband and says, I love you. And then the husband turns back in this tender moment and says, how does that help anything? <laughs> so we use that a lot in our home. So it might, uh, it might explain a lot, but uh, you're like, how? But it's funny, but at the same time, a lot of us, we live there. We, <clears throat> when we're in this capacity shrinking moment, we think to ourselves, you know, heart issues are merely distractions to the real issues of life. Like, the, the hard issues can be distractions, they can be deviations from what really needs to get done here and now. However, Jesus has a completely different perspective, friends. Jesus' perspective is the heart issue is the real issue in your life and mine. Could it be that the shrinking capacity that you and I are experiencing has little to do with the actual circumstances around us and more to do with the condition of our own heart? So Jesus, in this shrinking capacity moment, says, instead of talking about bread and fish, patience and time and people and their problems, I want to talk about you and what you really, really believe. 
Because what you really believe shapes everything in your life. Far more than the circumstances that are out of control in your world. So Jesus in this moment chooses to talk to these guys about belief because number one, what I believe really is a decision. I'd like you to write that down. I think that this can be sort of a mind-bender for many of us. That what I really believe, what I truly believe, is a decision that I make. Now, everybody believes things. We all have, in fact, I think all of us have um, sort of a doctrinal statement of our life. We have a list of things that we have convictions about, values about. We believe things, and these beliefs shape our life and how we encounter the world around us. And we have a whole ton of different things from the small things to the big things. Like, I believe the right way to squeeze the toothpaste is this way. I believe the right way to put the toilet paper on the roll is this way. Right, Brad? Amen? So, Brad, we're really speaking your language right now. So, so we have a whole list of things that we believe are right from that all the way to how you should treat a friend, a neighbor, co-worker, how you navigate in the world. Now, a lot of our beliefs we pick up like Lent, okay? A lot, of, a lot of the things that you and I hold to, we just pick up as we walk through life, and we don't even know that we may have them, but we nevertheless expect the world to bend to those beliefs, and when the world doesn't bend to those beliefs, things go sideways fast, Right? And what you believe about a particular thing may not even be accurate. We have in in our house, um, we have a computer, my computer that I've used for years, that we choose to leave out in open space. And I did that for multiple reasons. One was that so people could use it. Now, a few years ago, I get a call from Tracy. She says, John, I have a problem. My computer is not working. I said, easy. Easy go down and use my computer. She's like, oh, that's right, how do you log on? I gave her the log on. I don't know, five minutes later, she sends me a text. This is stupid, your computer's broken. And then you could just tell she's sideways, the world is wrong. I'm like, hey, it's okay, we'll come up with a solution. On the phone, we try to solve stuff. But in the back of my mind, now I got an issue. Because I'm like, my computer's broken. I didn't know my computer was broken. So at the end of the day, I come home, and the first thing after, I say hi, and I'm nice to everybody. But I go downstairs, log on the computer, and sure enough, the computer is working just fine. So I'm like, this is weird. So I say, Tracy, could you pause for a moment? She says, well, I'm awfully busy. But she comes down, and we sit there. <clears throat> I said, okay, could you tell me what's wrong with the computer? She said, it's simple. And I said, what's simple about it? And I'm, I'm operating the computer. She says, no, no, stop right there. I'm like, what? The mouse. Well, I have a trackpad. She's like, the trackpad does not work. I'm like, it works just fine. Look, and when you, when you pull it down, the page goes down. And when you pull it up, the page goes up. And she says, no. When you pull it down, it should go up. And when you pull it down, it's, you know what I'm saying? She's like, and I'm like, and we had an argument at the computer. I'm like, no, you're dead wrong. And we go back and forth, and she's like, no, your computer doesn't work. And I want you to know something. She has never used it again. Now, who's right and who's wrong? Yeah, you guys are pointing at Tracy. Uh. Both? Well, the truth is, it's... It, Neither one, it doesn't matter. You could be up or down, right? But the, the reality is, is that we brought a belief into that circumstance. 
And our belief about that circumstance changed how we reacted. In fact, her day was miserable and terrible and exhausted, and the whole world was crashing down because of that conviction, right? We do that in the world. And we do that in our relationship with God. Now, one of the things that the Bible asserts from the beginning to end is not just who God is and who we are, but the Bible from beginning to end invites us to take responsibility over what we believe. You can change. You can make a decision about what you believe about God. I want to take you for a moment to the most popular verse in the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 is not just a declaration about who God is, about who his son is, but John 3.16 is an invitation for you to intentionally, rationally, change what you believe about God. You can change what you believe about God, or you can spend your entire life fighting to get God to change to you. And John 3.16 says there's a deep cost for that. There's an eternal cost. Spending your entire life trying to get God to bend to you. But instead, you can make a decision to change what you believe about God. In Luke chapter 9, when these guys are in their capacity-shrinking moment, Jesus is confronting their ideas, their convictions, their beliefs. What is it that you really believe? Because what you believe, here's the second thing, what you believe about God shapes everything in your life. Now that may feel like a stretch to you today. But I'm going to try to show you some things that I hope will at least challenge your perspective. So in, uh, throughout, uh, throughout the um, course of time, people have used the phrase, I believe in God. In fact, there's some recent study, Gallup just put a recent survey in the United States. They did report that the belief in God in the U.S. has dipped 3 to 5%. But let me share with you, friends, in the United States, the vast majority of people believe in God. I mean, you and I live in a culture that says, I believe in God. But I have often wondered, what does it really mean when someone says, I believe in God? I actually have people say that to me often, but I do scratch my head and I wonder, what do they really mean by that? Like, on its face, when you say the phrase, I believe in God, you're acknowledging the existence of a deity, right? Um, some, some places, a higher power. So, I believe in God, you're acknowledging there's, there's some existence. But what else does that mean? Because it seems like sometimes when people say, I believe in God, to me, they're saying, leave me alone. You know what I mean? Yeah, I believe in God, stop bothering me. I believe in God, I'm a good person. Uh, I'm a believe in God, don't criticize me. I believe in God, I'm an American. I believe in God, you know. So I wonder sometimes what we mean by believing in God. Historically, Christ followers, people of faith, um, when they say the phrase, I believe in God, it means something very specific. So I brought some boxes, because I like boxes. And then as I wrote on them, by the way, I realized that my marker is too small. So if you're about the halfway back in the auditorium, you may not be able to see as well. So it ruins a little bit of my picture. But So um, historically, when people have said, I believe in God, what they mean is they mean that I believe that there is a deity that is eternal. 
no beginning, no end, that uh, pre-existent, there's an eternal being. And Christians, Christ followers, have believed from the beginning of time is that this eternal, all, uh, eternal, never-ending um, God, um, in his sovereignty, has decided to create all. So you can see, see how the, my marker's too small? I'm bummed out by that, but <laughs> I was writing this seven minutes before the service started and thought, this isn't going to work. So... People of faith have believed that when you say, I believe in God, you mean that there is an eternal, pre-existent, never-ending being or deity, and in this deity's sovereignty and grace has created all things. Now, this God who has created all things, because he has created all things, it gives him some unique qualities over everything else in the entire universe. Number one, it means if God is the eternal being who has created all things by his grace and sovereignty, it means that God alone has the right, God alone, I'm going to say it again carefully, God alone has the right to, can anybody see it on the front row? Judge all things. Only God has this right to judge all things. The second thing that this means, if there's an eternal God who's existed before time began and will exist long after time ends, he alone, if he created all things, he has the right to judge all things. And it makes sense. He's the creator. He made it. Secondly, he alone has the right, ability, and power to, can anybody see this? To control all things. That God, the sovereign God, is over all things because he created all things. Not only does he judge all things, but he alone has the right and power to control all things. And last, it means because he created all things beautifully and wonderfully. And wouldn't we all agree? I like that uh, the psalmist says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That because he did this, he deserves, he alone deserves what? All praise. This is how men and women for, gosh, the beginning of time have understood this concept of who God is and what we believe about God. Okay, are we, are we all there? Okay, so this is who God is. He is the eternal, preexistent God over all things, and by his grace and mercy, he created all things. And because he created all things, he alone has the right to judge. He has the power to control, and he deserves all praise. Cool? Okay. Now, when Jesus pulled his disciples together in Luke chapter 9, he wasn't looking for academic surrender. He wasn't looking for them just to repeat um, a theological position. You see... It's not enough to simply articulate what we think about God. This also has a soul requirement that we articulate, admit, humbly submit all of this, all of who we have traditionally thought we are to God. Let me explain. I'm going to explain this. Most of the shrinking capacity issues in my life come back to three primary issues. Number one. I really like people to like me. I act like I don't care. But the truth is, I, I want people to like me. I want people to think I'm great. I want my family to think I'm awesome. I want my kids to think I'm the best dad that ever walked on planet Earth. I want my wife to think I'm amazing. I want my neighbors to think I'm the best neighbor. I, I, I really like praise. And when I don't get it, I want you to know, I'm really grumpy. I'm really difficult to live with. 
If, if I don't get the customer service that I deserve because of who I am and the way I swiped my card, I, there's going to be hell to pay, okay? Second, when I don't get the praise that I want, you know how I respond? I judge people. I say, you know what? I'm not getting this because they are so-and-so. You know, if they would just get their crap together. You know, in fact, if I could have a few minutes with them, we could straighten their entire life out. You know? Like, I, when, when we have problems in our home and in our marriage, I, if I'm going to be real honest, rarely it's because of me. It's, it's because of other people. Right? You guys, are we, are, we, are we just, this is honesty hour, right? And this, I want you to know that this perspective doesn't work very well in my house. I want to be the judge of everything. Amen? And last, when that doesn't work, I want to control everybody and everything. I want everything to go my way. You see, the issue is not what I believe about God. The issue really comes down to what do I believe about me. I want to sit in the place where only God sits. I want to be, yeah, I can't, I, it creates this incredible tension. Jesus is not asking his disciples here in this moment, hey guys, hey, can we go over the Sunday school lesson? Can, can we go back through, um, just let's sit down and have a little study together. Let's just knock this out. What Jesus is asking his disciples is, what do you believe about God? And do you believe you are him? This changes everything in your life and mine. When we get to a moment where we say, well, let me just, let me show you this. I, I, for some of you, I think, I hope that this is a breakthrough moment. In the New Testament, the book of Romans. So we talk a lot in the church about being saved. And what does it mean to be saved? And how does this work? I want you to look at Romans 10 with me. And I want you to think of it through the lenses that we just talked about. Romanson says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is, what's the word? In Romans 10, it's, have you come to a place where you've made the decision that you are not Lord anymore? That you're not going to be in control. You're not going to be the one deserving all praise. You're not going to be the one who sits on the judge's seat of other people's life or even your own life. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus and only Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then and only then will you be saved. You see, God is not looking again for academic acknowledgement. Jesus wasn't sitting there in his prayer time being like, gosh, I wonder what people think of me. Hey, what do you, got? What do you guys think of me? What God is passionate about is you aligning your beliefs, making a decision to believe in the way that God has designed you and I to believe, and which works in the entire world, that God and only God is God. And are you willing to surrender to him? And I love that. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then and only then, friends, will you be saved. Next week, we're going to baptize some people. Some of you, some of you should be baptized. You've been wrestling with faith for a long time. Baptism is not an acknowledgement that you have the academic knowledge or you, you're going to surrender academically to that, oh, God's real. I, God's a good guy. I'm going to work him into my schedule. 
It's coming to the place in your life where you realize there's only one God. And it can no longer be me. For it's with your heart you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth you profess and are saved. Now, some of you, have been, as I've been walking through that, you've probably been getting a little bit impatient with me because you're like, well, John, my criticism so far in this message is that Jesus wasn't just asking about belief or belief in God. And he isn't. He's, he's, getting, he's coming to a pinpoint here. He's coming to the very razor's edge. There's something very, very specific that Jesus is asking. He says, who do you say I am? What you and I believe about Jesus shapes our forever path. Not just our belief or belief about God, but what you and I choose to believe about Jesus shapes our forever path. Uh, Peter, when he says, uh, you are the, I think literally it's translated, the Messiah of God. You are the Son of God sent to fulfill the promise of God to redeem people. Jesus, in, in the book of Matthew, turns to Peter and says, well done, man, you killed it, knocked it out of the park, this is a home run. And then Jesus says to Peter, this is what I'm going to build the rest of my work on planet Earth on. It is, it is this moment, it's not just this question and answer, but the engagement of one person saying, I'm no longer satisfied with walking through life with lint. I'm instead going to address my belief structure and I'm going to make a decision to put my faith and trust not just in the existence of a deity, but in Jesus Christ himself. And at that very moment, transformation takes place. And Jesus would later say in John 14, he would say this, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a, the maybe most important moment, I think, in perhaps the entire New Testament. There's this clarification about what changes the life of a person. And it's what you say personally. Not what the crowd says. Not what our culture says. I find it interesting if Gallup tells us if the belief in God wanes or rises... But God's not worried about it. He never changes. You know what he's concerned about? Is what you say about his son Jesus. And it is this that changes everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it's not just like you get the ticket into heaven. It's that your life was meant and designed to be experienced by walking with Jesus through every moment. In the garden, just before Jesus is crucified, he prays. Um, I think it's really the Lord's Prayer. It's this just rich prayer. But in, his, in the last chapter of his prayer, John 17, uh, verse 3 says this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see what Jesus says is that this is what eternal life is. It's not getting a rubber stamp 
that you passed a test, that you said the right things, that you go to church, that you try to be a good citizen, that you didn't curse at anybody, well, at least only one time this week. The eternal life is actually found in walking in a daily, vibrant relationship with Jesus. That that's eternal life. It doesn't start when your heart stops beating. It starts today by walking in and through life with Jesus. And so as Jesus in Luke 9 is sitting with his disciples who are experiencing this shrinking capacity in their life, he says, guys, what do you really believe? Because what you really believe is shaping everything that you're experiencing right now. Do you realize that you're eating, sleeping, drinking, walking, doing life with the one and only Son of God. And to be honest, circumstances are going to, they're going to come and they're going to go. Stresses are going to rise and fall. But if you are walking with the Son of Jesus through it all, you are living the life. John chapter 10, Jesus says, the thief, the thief comes to steal your life. Friends, your life is trying to be stolen from you this week. Did you know that? Like, like when, when you're like, oh, my car broke down, I'm under spiritual attack. I'm like, yeah, part of me says yes. Part of me says no. But then I step back and think, yeah, that's what the enemy's doing. You know, the enemy wants you to be so fixated on the things that are going wrong in your life and miss out on the beauty and the bounty of walking with Jesus today. How rich it is. How rich it is to be poor and not be able to pay your bills, but know you're doing it with Jesus. No amens. Not one amen in this room for that one. You know, I had, to, I had to have that moment this week. I've been wrestling with some things in my life, but I got down on my knees and I said, Jesus, I just want to say this. If nothing else goes right in my life, it is good. You have been so good and so rich. If my life even ends this week, I want you to know I am so grateful. It is so good to walk with you. And if it brings you glory for nothing to go right in my life, then may it be so. Do you know how I got up from that prayer moment? You guys want to watch? This is what happened for me. Because I was here, and this is what happened for me. Nothing changed out here. Everything changed in here. And it made all the difference. You know why I'm here? I'm here to walk with Jesus. And uh, it is such a gift. What do you believe? What do you really believe? You know, there are a lot of things that you believe that you've picked up in life like Lent, and you might not have even noticed them. But some of those things that you've picked up need to be changed. They're hindering the work of God in your life. What you believe about yourself, about God, about the world around you, it's just hindering, and you can make a decision. What you believe about God specifically is at the core of the health of your life. In fact, Jesus is specifically inviting you today, and I mean it today, he's, in, he's specifically inviting you today to Romans 10. To say, um, in my house, in my home, 
in my plans, the way I've navigated with people and the way I've treated people and responded to hurt. In honesty, I have been God. And today, I'm choosing to change. I'm choosing to say, Jesus, you are Lord. And I I just want to affirm from my own journey that the moment a man does that, the moment that a woman does that, is the moment that you're saved. And it begins this fresh journey. The Bible calls it being born again. It means like the old way of life has died and now there's a new way of life. And I want you to know, we, we stand on the shoulders of men and women of faith who have gone through the crappiest of circumstances but done it with Jesus sitting on the throne and it has changed everything. So, I don't want to keep going on. I do want to give us a minute. And uh, I'm trusting that today's not an accident for you. Man, don't go out convinced to just try harder. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus, you said of, of who you are and what you do, you say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and whoever opens the door, I will come in. And right now, I, I think that there's, there's a man, maybe two, maybe three in this room. good guys and uh, they've been ignoring the knock and I'm asking in Jesus' name that you give them some courage in the next couple minutes to open the door I, I really think that there's a, a woman or two in this room who um, is amazing they're, they're great Maybe they even try to do all the right stuff but They've been ignoring the knock, trying to kind of organize their entire life and make people and convince people, etc. I pray in Jesus' name you give them courage in the next couple of minutes. And here it is, friends. This is the, the prayer that I would encourage you to pray today. Something like this from your heart and your own words, something like this. It has meant so much to me what people think of me. I've been living under a self-imposed judgment of myself. I judge myself sometimes. Sometimes way too harsh, sometimes way, way <laughs> too affirming. 
try to control. I haven't ever thought about it that I'm doing this because I, I keep trying to be God. The Bible says that Jesus, you are the one and only Son of God. You are the one and the only Son of God. Jesus, will you be Lord? You sit in the rightful place in my heart and soul and life. Jesus, would you come in? I surrender to you, leadership. Whatever that may mean in the, the circumstances I'm in, I, Jesus, I just need you to be Lord. And friends, the very moment you pray that prayer, the God of heaven enters into the soul. He won't force his way in. He waits for you to invite him in. And when, he, and when you invite him in, he comes in. Jesus, my prayer is that you lift the capacity. And men and women in this room would be living out the vibrant purpose that you designed them for. And that all starts, it's fueled by this surrender. Jesus to you as Lord. For some of us in this room, today was a first time in commitment, and I pray that the days ahead would be just so like a big breath of fresh air. For some, it was a recommitment. I pray that they all might experience an increase of their capacity to watch you do amazing things. Give them a peace and joy that is the mark of God's Spirit in their life. Jesus, we pray. I said amen, that doesn't mean we have to be done praying. It's not the sign, by the way. In fact, what we're going to do in the next couple minutes, we're going to have some people here uh, on my right and my left. We're going to have some people here available to you if you want to pray with somebody. If you want to pray by yourself, you can do that too. No one's keeping track of what you do. There's no eye in the sky here. Um, So we're going to have some people here to pray. And then we're also going to be passing some baskets. And so we have... uh, team here. Dana has got some baskets already in her hand. And these baskets are an opportunity for you to give back to God. That's what we call this moment in our service. And there are two ways for you to give back. One, the connection card. If you've been wrestling with stuff and the stuff we talked about today, you want some people praying with you, um, use the back of that card. You can, you can be as detailed as you want. You could also just say, pray for me. Um, we also... We're a generous church. Um, even the things we're doing this next week, the sports campus, it only happens because of the rich generosity of people. There's no, no government agency that makes these things happen. It's you and me, God's people. So if you want to be a part of that, part of your worship this morning, giving back, you can use that as well. After the baskets go by, um, what you're going to feel is the band's going to like, there's going to be some sort of swell, right? And then... Somebody's going to invite you to stand, and if you want to stand, please do and sing with us. Thanks so much for spending your morning here, guys. I pray it was a gift.
that we've done at worship night, but we've done it once prior to this time. And it's such a beautiful song where it asks us to just sit and rest in the love of the Father and to sit and rest in his promise for you, to sit and rest that you are his daughter, that you are his son, that you have a place here in the kingdom. And so as we press into worship and as we sing, I just want to encourage you as we as we pray and as we seek the Lord that you would just rest and receive the love that the Father has for you. He 
patient and your love is kind. It does not boast and it is not proud. It does not demand its own way and it is not self-seeking or easily angered. God, your love doesn't delight or keep a record in wrongs, but it always rejoices in truth. It always protects, it trusts, and always hopes. Thank you for rushing in with your love, God. Thank you that you are nothing like this world can promise, nothing like this world can offer us, but your love is the purest form. And we receive that in Jesus' name. We receive your love. Now I can see faithful, even when times don't 
seem like you're going to work out okay. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I thank you for joining with us today. Um, I just spent the last 45 minutes talking to your teenagers about sin. So, uh, yeah, amen. Um, good luck in the car ride home. They have weird questions. Um, we have a couple things as we part today. As we go, please be praying for sports in our camp again. Pray for our kids. Pray for our community. Um, again, baptisms are next week. If that's a step that you would like to take, we would love to see you in room 228 following the service because it is an opportunity to learn about why we believe it, why we do it, why it's so important. So please join us in that. And then as we leave, I would love to ask you to maybe partner with us in helping pack this place up. Uh, it's summertime, so usually we don't have a huge teardown, but because we're going to be having everything out in the field next week, any help after service today is greatly appreciated, so we, next week we can get out there and make it all fun for everybody. Um, with that being said, please stick around, uh, have some snacks, enjoy each other, and uh, we would love to see you next week for Disco Fest. Have a great week, guys.